The peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, I invite you to give yourself and your neighbor the gift of about three deep breaths so that you can fully arrive here and that you can open yourself to the presence of the living spirit in with and among us. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Standing or sitting, let us join in the call to worship. Christ recognized the heart of the law. Let us fall in love as he did with what God desires. Christ understood healed people make for healthy relationships. Let us do our inner work. Holy Spirit, bless this time of worship that we might grow in understanding and faith. You may be seated. 
Good morning and welcome to worship here at Westminster. What a joy to be together. If you're visiting with us, if you're new to the Westminster community, I want to offer a special welcome to you. After worship, we um, always have coffee and tea and snacks set up today. Since it's a little gray outside, we'll be in our Finley Hall. So you can just go out the sanctuary doors and to the left. It's a great time for conversation. Uh, maybe seek out someone you haven't yet met and get to know them just a little better. Let's join together now in our community prayer. You'll find it in your bulletin. Let us pray. We know that we belong to one another, God but at times we have not acted like it. We have mistakenly assumed we don't need one another or that we succeed only over and against one another. We have been given the great teachings of Jesus and misunderstood them. We have misused them by turning words of protection into words of harm. By the power of the Spirit, Help us understand the heart of God's law and the love of God's heart. Amen. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God's grace is showered upon us, reminding us that in Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. We are set free. We are made new. Thanks be to God. Amen. And Rob. It's not usually my part. We talked about this on Sunday, she said, uh, or this week. She said, I'm doing the music, so can you do the joys and concerns? And I said, sure, but you may need to cue me. <laughs> I've been cued. One of the ways that we take care of each other as a community is to share what's going on in our lives, so that we can be in solidarity with each other, so that we can be in prayer with one another. So if you have a joy or a concern, something you're carrying with you today, you'd like to lift up for everyone, I encourage you to just raise your hand and speak up when you're called on. Forrest. I ask that for your healing prayers and comfort and peace uh, for my son, my son's mother-in-law, who was diagnosed Thursday with stage four uh, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So please pray for her and my, my son and children. Thank you. Forrest lifts up his son's mother-in-law, who's recently received a difficult diagnosis. Others? Yeah, Susan. Uh, 
Susan's been rem uh, bringing to our attention and to our hearts the plight of a baby named Apollo who's had a tumor and things are getting better right now and um, that family's very grateful for the prayers of this community. Others? Yeah, Judy. Thank you for celebrating that, Judy. Judy was lifting up the Tahoe retreat pilgrimage that Bethany led with 19 members uh, this past week, and what a wonderful time it was. And Judy, thank you for your leadership, too. I know you led a guided imagery and music session, and I know it's meaningful for people. Bethany. I keep getting credit, but Susan Bertelson, let's give her a ton of credit. She's not here. But, um, but I would love first for my family. We um, unexpectedly on Friday had to put down our 12-year-old dog after a, a sudden medical diagnosis. And Ben, especially, my son, is heartbroken. And it's tough to see your child go through such grief. Our pets are so important to us. So we just love your prayers for my family. Well, Bethany's on a mic, so I don't need to repeat it. But I will observe that at this service and at the last service, the loudest gasp was when she spoke of her dog. Mm -hmm. And that is the experience I see in people time and again, and yet we have this thing where we're, somehow we're supposed to be embarrassed about that, but not here, okay? This is a church. Well, we appreciate that incredible, I will call it love, we get from our uh, four-legged friends too. So our heart goes out to Ben. Jim. Jim is lifting up, and thank you for playing an organizing role in that. And mark your calendars if you're a cyclist or you'd like to be one for next year about this time. Annual, annual Presbytery-wide Pedal for Protein, which raises money for food banks in the area. And um, it was a miraculous ride. When Jim said they rode up and down the Russian River, I had no idea you'd be riding on water. That's it's very, very Christian of you. Uh, Sherry. Sherry gives thanks for your prayers. Um, her biopsies were all benign, so while sore, she uh, feels good about that. And the day that we learned of that uh, outcome of the test was the day we found out her mother had had a stroke, so she's still hospitalized in Florida. And Sherry's navigating the things one navigates with family in that. So let's, uh, Lewis, and then we'll pray.
thank you. Lewis was, I think, our first leader in Piddle for Protein at this church and has been a member uh, all throughout. And he reminds us that even though the, the ride happened, the window for contributing is not over. So if you need uh, help figuring out how to do that, you can see Lewis, you can see Jim, you can talk to me. Let's pray. We carry so much, O oh God, but in this moment we give thanks for the reality that in a church community we carry none of it alone, that by the power of your spirit we never walk alone, and help us to rest into that sure and certain and empowering knowledge. And so now we join our voices together, offering the prayer that Jesus himself taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. The kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. in the wilderness we can't find what we need we get a little restless from the searching get a little worn down in between like a bull chasing a matador is the man left to his own schemes everybody needs someone beside him shining like a lighthouse from the sea brother let me be your shelter never leave you all alone I can be the one you call when you're low brother let me be your fortress when the night winds are driving on be the one to light the way bring you home face down in the desert now there's a cage wrapped Never leave you all alone I can be the one you call 
mistress when the night winds are driving on. Be the one to light the way, bring you home. any of the children People would get rid of my stuff, but I don't really own anything, so there's nothing to get rid of. But I love getting rid of stuff. I like getting rid of my wife's stuff. She's not here to defend me, or defend herself, rather. I like getting rid of my children's stuff. Is that true? No. Yeah. So, I do. Now, here's something that we had to get rid of a while back, and I wonder if you can tell me what this is. Baby bottles. Do any of you still have these in your house? No, some of you do, yeah. You, you do, you don't. Now, why don't you have them? Because you, you use them all, right? Everyone has used one of these. You can still use it, but, but you don't have any in your house. Why don't you have them in your house? Because your parents threw them away. Your parents threw them away? They, because they're on. Uh oh, it's a lot of stories being told here. Oh, okay. You don't use them anymore, so you got rid of them. Now, what is this? Here. A sippy cup. Now, do any of you have sippy cups in your house? Still sippy cups. So some of you still have sippy cups. I don't think we have sippy cups. Do we have sippy cups? No. no. We have, no. like, we have, like, yeah. no, wait, there's, there's baby yeah. collars, children, yeah. kids, young, yeah. uh, teenagers, young adults, and adults. That's right. And who uses the sippy cup? Yeah, a lot of different age groups there. Yeah. But only some use the sippy cups. Now, so only some of you have these, and why don't you have sippy cups anymore? You don't need them. You don't use them anymore. Now, what are these? Cups. Cups. Now, how many of you have cups in your house? 
All of you have cups. How many of you have cups in your house? Everybody has a cup in their house. You might have a, a favorite cup. I have a red cup that I drink water out of every single day. It's my favorite cup. It's 12 ounces. So I learned that if I drink eight of them a day, then that's enough water to get through my day. So we did the baby bottles. No, and do no, you like, want to? So. It's like kid bottles. Like wine bottles. Oh, wine? <laughs> <laughs> no, like, like Whose child is this? <laughs> 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 oh. So here's the thing. So let me, let me uh, try to steer this back onto uh, a narrow path. We, so we have baby bottles because we needed help drinking our milk at a certain time. And people would hold the baby bottle for you. And we needed sippy cups because we were sort of done with one, but we still needed a little bit of help so we didn't spill our milk everywhere. So you could drink, but we were afraid you're going to spill it everywhere. And then you're using a cup. Now, people who've helped you with this, there was a guy named Paul, and he wrote down that we are like God's hands and feet. We are the hands and feet of Jesus. We help. So can you sit right here, please? Thank you. These are my children, so I discipline them more harshly. So, so okay. So we, let's leave that alone for now. So we, we, have, we have people in our lives who help us. They help us drink milk with the baby bottle. Then they give us a sippy cup. And those people are sort of like God in our world. God helps us at different times. And then God gives us the freedom to use a regular cup. And sometimes we might still spill, but the cup is still there. So if you're going to Sacred Stories today, you're going to hear about a time when the people needed God's help. When maybe they were still in the baby bottle phase. They needed help with something really hard. And then those of you going to third and fifth grade are celebrating wonder. You're going to hear about somebody who was one of the helpers. And then maybe you can tell everyone here how you can be a helper after you're done. So we have everyone in the back there, right? Okay, so we're going to walk out with our leaders for our two classes now. Go now in Kids know all. You can hide those bottles, but they'll find them. <laughs> okay. The first scripture reading is Psalms 105, verses 1 to 6. Listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name, make known his deeds among the peoples. Sing to him, ah, sing praises to him. Tell of all his wonderful works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek him, seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continuously. Remember the wonderful works he has done, his miracles, and the judgments he has uttered. O oh, offspring of his servant Abraham, children of Jacob, his chosen ones. Holy wisdom, holy word.
Praise be to God. Today we continue our 10-week series on the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus' longest continuous teaching in the New Testament. The series is aimed, of course, at recentering Jesus' teachings. And as we've said on each of our Sundays so far, the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount include not one word about what you're supposed to believe. It only speaks about how to behave how to be in the world, what to value, and therefore how to move about the world. Today's reading is from the fifth chapter of Matthew, verses 17 to 33. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to us. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've come not to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. You've heard that it was said of it to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that if you're angry with a sister or a brother, you will be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or a sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. So when you are offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, and be reconciled, or first be reconciled to your brother or sister. And then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are on the way to the court with them. Or your accuser may hand you over to the judge and judge to the guard and you will be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This one's going to take some unpacking, I should have said at the beginning. Here we go. You have heard it said that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin... Tear it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that anyone who divorces his wife except on the grounds of unchastity, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a woman, a divorced woman, commits adultery. Hang in there. I don't, I don't want you to be turned away before we can open it up. 
Again, you've heard it said that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not swear falsely, but carry out the vows you have made to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, either by heaven or by earth, either by heaven for it is the throne of God or by earth for it is the footstool or by Jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and do not swear by your head for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let your word be yes, yes, or no, no. Anything more than this comes from the evil one. Trust me, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. I promise. Ten weeks may not have been enough for the Sermon on the Mount. Just as we could have spent a week on each of the Beatitudes we addressed in week one, the blessedness of the poor in spirit or the poor, of the peacemakers, of the merciful, of those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, of the meek, so too could we spend a week on several of the themes that are raised by Jesus' teachings that you just heard. And you might be wondering, what ties all of that together? Why did I cut the reading like I did? What are the elements or what's the thread that connects them all? And there is one in my mind. It's, I can sum it up in one word. Protection. Which is probably not the word that came to your mind first when you heard some of what I just read. So let's work with that. You might have thought, actually, uh, that you were attacked by that passage, much less protected by it. Well, see where you are in a few minutes' time. Go to some of the most violent images in that passage. Your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out. Your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's a particularly fraught image in today's culture. A culture in which one of the things that people do to tend to the anguish they're experiencing emotionally or spiritually or physically is harm themselves. It's called non-suicidal self-harm. I read a study this week of 665 children and youth, and of those surveyed, 13% of ninth graders acknowledged uh, intentionally harming themselves. It often comes in the form of cutting, by the way, where you take a sharp object, usually at a place where people can't see, and you cut yourself over and over, either to feel something that hurts worse than the other thing that hurts in your life, or maybe because you don't feel anything and you want to feel something or some other reason altogether. And 8% of third graders, almost 1 in 10, report hurting themselves. And here Jesus says, if something's wrong in your life, you should cut something. Surely this is not what he intended. Obviously not the cutting I just described, but any self-harm to me does not align with Jesus. So what does he intend by this? Well, first, remember what kind of teacher Jesus was, right? He taught in stories. He taught in parables, which were made-up stories that flipped upside down the rules and the norms of the day. He used really graphic and stark images. All of these are tactics teachers use to shake people up 
to jar the audience from their usual place of sitting in society and their usual way of thinking about things to try to get them to think about things differently. And his teachings always had layers too, and so often we get stuck and hung up on the most literal, superficial of the layers, but you can always go deeper and find deeper things. Herman Weichen, the New Testament professor I've quoted before, and who will be along with us on this journey throughout much of our series, because he wrote a wonderful commentary on Matthew's gospel, opens some of this up for us. Two eyes, Weichen says, in the ancient world, uh, conveyed perception. Or, I'm sorry, one eye conveyed perception. I keep getting this backwards. Two eyes uh, can also connote contact, physical touch. Keep that in mind. Which hand are you supposed to cut off if it's causing you to sin? The right one. In the ancient world, the right hand was associated with power, even with force, and yes, even with rape. Weichen points that when Jesus says, cut out one of your eyes and cut off your right hand, what he is doing is removing the potential for someone to commit unwanted touch with someone else. Removing the possibility for rape, among other things. It's all about, in this context, protecting the woman. Actually, he's protecting the potential of someone from becoming a victim, and he's protecting someone from becoming a perpetrator because vo both are acts of harm and violence. It's all about protection. And yes, he uses a stark image, that image of cutting, but in his usage, what he's trying to get us to do is root out that within us that can lead us to a path of external or internal destruction. We might suggest a different metaphor, so we'll get there. But that's what he's getting at. And he talks about um, the very things that come up in us that have the potential to cause destruction. What's tricky is those things which come up, come up in us are very natural. They're bodily desires or instincts that have evolved in us over time that have uh, kept us fed, kept us safe, kept us procreating. They're natural. So it's working with them. Weichen says, of course, anger, which Jesus alludes to, is a natural human emotion. Maybe you can meditate to the point where you would never feel any anger, though I don't know what would cause you to fight injustice, but let's say you could get there. Most of us will not get there. What Weichen says is Jesus is encouraging us not to let that anger take up residence in us in such a way that we start to do internal or external violence in the community, in our relationships. What about this matter of having eyes for someone outside your chosen partnership? As I mentioned before last week, for three weeks after the 10 o'clock service, we hosted a discussion upstairs about the next week's sermon passage. And last week when we got to this passage, this issue came up and generated a lot of discussion. What do you do if you start to have an attraction to somebody outside a chosen partnership, if you are someone who is partnered in a romantic way? It is a natural bodily desire. It's been layered on with shame because people think that's what Jesus wanted, but they've missed the point. The answer is not to uh, uh, ignore it. It's to honor it, to recognize it, to acknowledge it. 
If you don't listen to it, it will only get louder till it gets its way one way or the other. So it's better to just listen to it. And then, because remember, Jesus isn't as worried about the body, even though he's talking about the body, he's worried about the heart. So you use your heart as a measuring stick, and you hold up that desire, and you say, I hear you and I see you, but when I put you next to my heart, do you lead me down a path that is going to be helpful for me? Or is this going to lead me to destruction in somewhere or the other, or a destruction of someone I care about, or destruction in the wider community? And if not, then I can say, I see you, and I hear you, and maybe rather than excise you, cut you out, I'm just going to excuse you and ask you to leave, because you don't serve. All these desires that we have, they serve an evolutionary purpose, but what would our lives look like if we gave in to every bodily desire in every moment? That's a disaster, right? Self-control is not oppression, it's a discipline. It's a spiritual discipline. It's a life skill. Jesus just wants us to do our inner work and be intentional about that. And we, if we misunderstand this part of Jesus' teachings, we run in the risk of developing a purity culture or a purity cult, which is actually destructive in its own right, done in the name of sanctity or religion or some other cause. Nadia Boltz-Weber, who's a Lutheran, writes really helpfully about this in this book that I've quoted on the cover of your bulletin, which is called Shameless. A case for not feeling bad about feeling good. Christianity has accidentally told people anytime they feel good, they should feel guilty about that. And what Boltzweber does is she contrasts two things, purity and holiness. And she says, purity is all about separation. I'm good because I distinguish myself from people who do bad things. And it leads to two things, pride, self-righteousness, and despair. And Jesus is about neither, says Boltzweber. Rather, Jesus is about holiness, which is not about separation. Holiness is about communion, holy union with God, with spirit, with others, a holy union, and even with our deepest selves. That's a healthy wholeness. That's what it leads to, wholeness, fullness, joy. It's about protecting the web of relationships in our lives and in our community. That's what Jesus is about. Protect the web of relationships, which leads us right to divorce. I'm not going to take a survey. What's going on with this divorce teaching? Well, again, first, uh, uh, imagine marriage in Jesus' time. It bore no resemblance to marriage in our time. Actually, marriage in our time bears no resemblance to marriage not that long ago. In Jesus' time, women were chattel. They were property. Their value and their security was entirely bound up in their connection to the men in their lives. Their father, potentially their brothers, their husband, and their sons. To divorce a woman is to put her in grave danger in that context. What's Jesus about? Protection. And in his culture, that's the most vulnerable position. So you must protect her. Okay. John Dominic Cross, a New Testament scholar, 
far wiser than I am, says, you don't even need to go that far because Jesus isn't offering a universal teaching here. He makes the case that what Jesus is actually doing is launching a thinly veiled critique of King Herod, the corrupt ruler of Jesus' own people and his many marital escapades, that actually Jesus is attacking that directly. He's not speaking to us. But while we're on the topic, <laughs> do I think we are to just quickly, wantonly abandon our committed relationships? No. Our vows mean something. We owe it to ourselves and to our partners to work, to work through things, to acknowledge that sometimes we project uh, onto our partner as the, as the problem, our own problematic patterns. Does that mean there is never a chance for divorce? Or to state it in a positive way, is there ever a time to divorce? Yes. And I believe Jesus would say yes. I may be wrong. But I believe in our context with our understanding, yes. On what grounds? It's the same theme. You know it by now. Protection. What is protective of the individuals in the relationship, of the people in the web of relationships around that primary relationship, and in the wider community? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Those are a couple of the issues addressed in that sermon. What, about, what are some of these others? What about hell? Let's go there. Last week when we gathered to discuss this topic, I was, I was surprised nobody would touch it. Nope. There I go again. Uh, we didn't want to talk about hell, uh, which, is, which is interesting. I thought we might be intrigued by that one. But what's going on with this notion of hell? First of all, what is hell? Well, that's a complex question in and of itself. But one of the most common definitions, one that I actually find quite helpful, uh, describes it as a state of separation from God. Maybe you've experienced that. Now, in this tradition, we affirm that nothing, 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 nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. This is the Easter message, particularly in the eastern part of the world, where in Easter, we have this image of Jesus descending into hell and opening the gates as this image that there is nowhere we can go to escape God's love. Right? So we can affirm that while we simultaneously affirm the real state of suffering that people feel in this world when they're exploited, when they're harmed, when they're deprived of access to what they need to have a decent life. In many ways, we create the experience of separation from the life force, from the goodness, from the joy that we attribute to God. We create that all the time. And while Christians have historically been obsessed with hell after death, Jesus seems actually more interested in the ways in which we create hell on earth. Do you know what the Greek word for hell is? It's a Gehenna. Do you know where Gehenna is? It's not in the afterlife. Gehenna was a region located outside of Jerusalem, associated with two things. The first is a pagan fire rite where, in which children were sacrificed. And the second was it was a garbage dump where there was a fire that continuously burned refuse. And Jesus compares the kind of um, communal behavior that hurts people to that place. 
because Jesus is concerned with protecting the sanctity of the community and of the people within it. It's always about protection. It's not about threats. All right. Swearing, and not the fun kind of swearing. The kind you do when you make an oath. What's going on there? What an odd uh, what an odd thing to include in this pretty weighty passage. Don't swear. Don't make an oath. Uh, which, uh, let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. But don't swear to God or anything else. Which is funny because we have this tradition of swearing on the Bible. Which shows that all those people who do that haven't really opened it very carefully. <laughs> but actually it's quite simple, I think, what Jesus is on to there. Let your word stand on its own. You don't need an external authority to back up your word. Your word is grounded in your very being, and it must be true. And why is this an important teacher teaching? Because if you're about protecting the community, what's a key ingredient of a safe community? Integrity. Because if people act with integrity, then everybody is safe. It's actually a central teaching. It's not a throwaway. So let your word be true. And the law. It's the last topic we'll address. Get such a bad reputation in Christianity as does the Older Testament in which it's recorded. But Jesus says, I didn't come to throw away the law. I came to fulfill it. To embody it. What was the law? The law was given to the people. It was seen as a gift, not as oppression. As a gift, because good laws are safe containers for people to live communally within. They're meant to protect us. So the sacred law given to Moses on Sinai was a way of establishing a safe container for the people to live, not under threat from the potential worst impulses or desires that people can carry. It protects your life. It protects your property. Jesus said, I came to fulfill the law. Ulrich Lutz, a German theologian, says, Jesus is the one who brings the law into full expression. He's what the law looks like when it walks around the earth. And so it's not good enough to just live into the statutes of the law. You have to live into the intention of the law. It's not good enough to just avoid inflicting wounds on the outside. You actually have to tend to the wounding on the inside of the self and the other that creates the destructive behavior in the first place. It's not good enough to just not hurt people's bodies. You have to stop shaming them and giving them emotional and spiritual wounds as well. It's not good enough to be uh, some sort of self-righteous, pure individual. You are to dedicate your life to protecting the dignity and the well-being of others, the whole body. So we could go on and on for weeks. Some of you feel like we have been this morning. But it really just comes down to the one simple notion that we are not here to achieve some individual level of personal purity, but rather we are to vote, devote ourselves to an ethos of mutually assured protection. Protection of the dignity and the well-being of all, particularly the most vulnerable in our communities. And that's a standard toward which we can, and if we are going to take Jesus' teaching seriously, to which we must work and strive. Amen.
pieces to get ready. now in the doxology, shall we? Praise God from whom all blessings 
seated and I'd like to invite Lindsay to come share with us. Good morning everyone. Good to, good to be here with you. My name is Lindsay Hauer. Um, I'm a relatively new member of the church it feels like even though I've been here two years. Um, but I, I joined about two years ago when we baptized my son, Chase. And I'd like to share a little bit about my story, about how I came to Westminster and how I believe it's changed my life for the better. So I started looking for a church when I was pregnant with Chase. And not because I was terribly religious, since I hadn't set foot in one in over a decade at that time, but because church was a connection to my mother. She grew up at a Presbyterian church in Ridgewood, New Jersey, in the 1940s and 50s, and her mother was involved in the choir, and she was one of the few parishioners tapped to play the piano, as my mother was during my childhood. And so she raised me and my brother at Old First Presbyterian Church in Huntington, New York, and we went to Sunday school, we participated in the Christmas play, we were confirmed in ninth grade. We were the kids of the mom who knew how to play every Christmas carol on the piano by heart. <laughs> So the Presbyterian Church has been a cornerstone to my life, and I didn't even realize it until I was in search of a church community four years ago as an expectant mother. So when I was pregnant with Chase on my church hunt in Marin County, my mother was elderly and living on the East Coast, where I'm from originally. She was thrilled about Chase's arrival, even though she and I both knew she would have limited time with him. Chase was born in September 2019, and my mother became ill with pneumonia about six months later, which also happened to be the start of the pandemic. Having a newborn, as well as an elderly, sick parent far away during a pandemic was pretty daunting. Her pneumonia turned into septic shock, which later led to the discovery of lymphoma all over the course of six weeks. I traveled to Boston, fully masked with gloves and sanitizer, hoping this would be enough to keep everyone safe, both my newborn and my mother, at a time when we knew so little about the coronavirus. And I was able to spend the last two weeks of her life with her at home under the banner of hospice. My first Mother's Day was her last living on earth. And I spent that Mother's Day keeping her company and flipping through the pocket-sized New Testament that I found in her dresser. I read all the pages where she had the corners turned down or sections highlighted in yellow figuring these signals flag some kind of importance or meaning to her in those pages. I also organized several Zoom calls, Zoom conference calls with her friends, my friends, our extended family, so that they could say goodbye. I spoke to her minister at the Fredericksburg Presbyterian Church, which was her most recent and final church community. His name was Alan Fisher, and we spoke a few times, including once when I had him on speakerphone talking to her directly. 
The phone was right next to her ear since she was unable to talk at that point, though I like to think she received comfort from his familiar and ministerial voice. And likewise, I recruited the hospice chaplain who was on call the night before she died, and her kindness and warmth and delicate care of my mother, a total stranger to her, was all enabled through a common language that her religion provided. In those final days, I witnessed the power of prayer, community, and connection. And I can remember my mother's minister saying to me, Lindsay, you're at the thinning now. You're at the thinning when life and death are closest to one another. You'll be okay. In the weeks and months that followed, I returned to California to my baby. <laughs> and to my partner, and to the arduous process of overseeing my dad's care while being a new mother and starting this grief journey. Excuse me. Thankfully, after trying on a few other church communities, the kids, the playground, the pride flag outside, the breadth of community programming all brought me home to Westminster. I know now that the Presbyterian Church will be a fundamental way that my mother influences Chase. Instead of celebrating his birthdays or spoiling him with ice cream, my mom will be present in his life by showing up here at Westminster. And so here we are. We baptized Chase with Bethany and Rob in October 2021. Some of you may have been there and remembered that. We often sit in the back row or the quiet room, we sit in that corner. I'm sorry, in the past, it's, <laughs> he's not the quietest parishioner. Um, um, but we, we joined the summer retreat on Mount Tam over the, the, this past summer. We contribute to various volunteer activities whenever we can, particularly at the holidays. And I've been on the stewardship committee for two years. And so I'll close my remarks today with a sincere invitation and in asking you to contribute to this community, this church, this place that shows up reliably when so many things change, and especially in recent years with the pandemic. When children arrive and grandparents go, when loved ones get sick, and when life turns upside down. Westminster is a beautiful constant worthy of our stewardship and investment. So thank you for giving that some thought. Thank you for looking for your, your stewardship packet outside on your way out. And thank you for making it a gift this year end to support this church. Thank you. Amen. And thank you for sharing your story with us. Amen to that. I want to highlight just a couple of announcements that aren't in your bulletin. Definitely take a look at what's in your bulletin. It's a lot. Uh, but just a couple of things. First, um, both the Ritter Center, which um, helps support those who are unhoused in San Rafael, and St. Andrew Presbyterian Church in Marin City have asked us um, for some help with some collections that they're doing, um, looking for very specific kinds of food and clothing and hygiene products. So out in the narthex, you'll see um, three boxes. And on the boxes are 
lists of what they're looking for. So this is not an invitation for you to clean out your pantry and bring it all here, um, but it's an invitation for some very specific things. So like if you want to maybe take a picture of the lists on the boxes and um, contribute next week, that would be amazing. Um, the deacons um, at their last meeting uh, uh, pledged $500 toward this effort in a, in a matching grant. So we're hoping that you know the value of the, the food and the clothing and the hygiene products that we collect will be $500 as a sort of a, uh, what's the word, a hopeful note of the deacons that you guys will, will help to um, bring those products. All right, next, uh, next Sunday is the first Sunday of the month, which means it's diaper duty Sunday. Another collection. Your cars are going to be full when they come to worship next Sunday. Um, that's also out there in the narthex. Finally, I want to highlight the faith traditions program that's coming up on Thursday evening. Uh, pastor Joel Redman is going to be with us. He's a Baptist pastor from the East Bay. Um, really intriguing fellow. Spent 40 years in the corporate world at MetLife, retired from that, then became a pastor. Um, so he's going to share with us some of his story, you know, it, which is a very unique story. So I encourage you to join us on Thursday um, in Finley Hall as we hear from him. Uh, now, finally, we have a little chorus we're going to sing together to close worship. What we'll do is we'll sing it once for you so you can hear how it goes, and then we invite you to sing it with us a couple more times. So standing or sitting, uh, let's join in this song together. And all the people said amen. people said amen. All right, join us. Here we go. And all the people said amen. Oh, 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 and all the people said amen. Give thanks to the Lord, for God's love never ends. And all the people said amen. One more time. And all the people said amen. Amen, indeed. And now as you go from this place, may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God who is Father and Mother of us all, and the sweet communion of the Holy Spirit be with you this day and every day. Amen.